by saying if uh, you have young children in here, this is very adult con- uh, conversation, and uh, there is children's ministry that is provided from nursery all the way up until the eighth grade. And if uh, you uh, want your child exposed to what happens on a wedding night, you just keep them on in here, and I'll tell them all about it. How about that? I'm asking for your participation. I've been kind of finishing up a study that I've been doing over this last uh, week or so, kind of very impromptu study. Uh, raise your hand. Help join me here. Raise your hand if your parents never had a meaningful conversation about dating relationships to you. Raise them high. Let me just see. Okay, put them back down if you would. Uh, raise your hand if your parents never meaningfully talked about sexual intimacy, like had the birds and the bees talk with you. Okay, I asked that question, those two questions, to a couple of small groups that uh, I was with this last week, and uh, we discussed that, and they all said that no, their parents never had those conversations. Like 100% of them said no, and uh, we talked about how kind of that, you know, there was a failure there of parenthood. Uh, They never talked about sexual purity, never talked about intimacy, never talked about God's plan uh, and God's design for all of this, never talked about um, what it means to be sexually pure. Um, and we just were, I guess, taught whatever the world wanted to scream at us. And in those small groups, no one was ever talked to about the dating relationships either, about how to date, who to date, what to court, how to court, uh, sexual intimacy, the the honeymoon, the wedding night, the birds and the bees. No one had those talks. And then I asked the the question to these groups, and I'm kind of asking it uh, to you rhetorically. Are you planning to tell your children um, about dating relationships now? Are you going to have a talk now to your children about sexual intimacy and what it means to remain pure as God defines it? And as I talked to those groups personally, every single couple in that group said yes. Emphatically, they said yes. Uh, so 100% in those groups were told, uh, no, they never had those meaningful talks. And because of discussions like this, now they're saying these talks are absolute. And we're going to talk to our children in a mature manner at the level they're at, not just one time, but early and often. Now that, that's promising for a guy like me because I know a lot of you have applauded this, this sermon series, but I applaud all of you that you allow this to take place in a congregation and just don't shun yourself from it because the world screams at us all sorts of ideas of what sexual intimacy should be. And it's um, many, many ways wrong. It's perverted and it's construed. And what we've done here is we've started a conversation that once was never had in a church like this. And our hope is that now generations will now hear the truth of God's word because men and women like us will say we stand for God's standards and not the, the, the shifting standards of secular society. And we're going to talk about love, and we're going to talk about intimacy, we're going to talk about how wonderful sex is in the context of marriage, but we're going to talk about how God designed it, not as how Hollywood portrays it. And we, we have an opportunity, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's, there's a thousand plus of us that attend this place every single week, there's, there's thousands of people that call this place home. We have a real opportunity right now to make a generational impact in our region. We can shut down this whole madness of what people have led to believe what sexual intimacy is all about if we just start having conversations with the people that we care for. Grandparents, I'm talking to you too, not just parents. Caregivers, I'm, I'm, I'm laying this out on the line to you. Just start having conversations about courtship, dating right, engagement, marriage, purity, uh, sexual intimacy, and having those talks from God's point of view. And talking about how that's designed and framed in the context of marriage, it's beautiful and it's great and it's protected and it's secure. And uh, we need to stop these lies. The lies that sex is just purely mechanical, like it's just a physical act. The, the lie that sex is the only way to show love to someone whom you're 
in a relationship with or who you've just met, uh, that everybody's doing it, that, that's a lie. And um, the lie that to keep someone committed to you, well, you, you must have sex to keep them committed to you. Now, here's my challenge for all of us in this room that have uh, children under our care. And it doesn't matter what age they're at. These, these talks can happen. Is discuss with your children, discuss with your grandchildren, discuss, discuss those who you're, you're caring for about commitment, the levels of relationship. Talk to them about purity. Talk about honoring God. And of course, talk to them about sexual intimacy and how God desires that for husbands and wives. And how God says, take pleasure in that. And we're going to find even later, God says, that, that, get your fill of that in the right place. And so why not, why not just start talking to our kids and having a generational impact, changing the way, uh, changing sexual regret, changing uh, the way that we uh, ha- think that maybe sex is dirty, and just start talking to, to those that have a misconstrued idea about how God sees it, how beautiful it really is early and often. Because what we're going to see here right now in Song of Solomon chapter 3 verse 6 is, is the results of doing it God's way and the beauty of the wedding night. Some of you are like, how's he going to explain this one? Brashly. The husband and wife are here. They're looking back over the years and uh, they're describing the attraction that they had to win. We've already seen them enter the dating relationship. We, we have found out that they've fallen in love with each other because they've gotten to know the head and the heart long before their hands ever caressed. And they fall in love and then they, they, they talk to us about how difficult it is to, to remain sexually pure. How they wanted to jump each other's bones right there as they were dating. And then they decided, let's not do this. And remember the, the phrase is, do not awaken love. Let's not do this right now. Right feelings, wrong season. And then they move into courtship. And we talked about courtship last week. And that's, that is where we come together to cultivate the commitment. And they start to grow deeper. And then they realize not only now do we know each other's head and heart, we want to start touching each other. And we find that they start, they start kissing and touching. And now they want to take it further. And they have to draw those boundaries physically again and say, now is not the time. Do not awaken love. It seems right, feels right, but this is not the season. The season is not right. And we even hear them discuss purity. We hear them discuss virginity. We hear them discuss how they want to remain pure and to secure this relationship and build it on the right foundation. You know what we don't really see in the Song of Solomon? We don't see engagement too much. We don't see this idea that we have a long engagement. It was probably a short engagement. I'm not sure what that's trying to teach us, but let me just, let me just say it within an opinion form right here about what engagement should be. It should be something that is short, just time enough to prepare a wedding, to plan a wedding, to get the good news out about your wedding. It shouldn't be this long, drawn-out thing where you don't have a date in the end. Friends, that's what we call, that's what we call courtship, not engagement. Uh, engagement should include a promise to be married with a date and a ring that demonstrates the promise. That's what it should include. And it's just my opinion that, that you shouldn't be engaged longer than a year. And if you're in an engagement right now where there is no end date, there is no commitment to a marriage, you're not engaged. You have a ball and chain connected to you right now. You have someone that has said, I'm going to give you this ring to maybe hold on to you for a time being. And you need to kind of rethink where that is or say, honey, we need to come up with a date and we need to come up with it quick. What's the point of this long engagement? Or maybe you just need to say, we maybe gotten the relationship levels out of order. We went from dating straight to engagement. We never went to courtship, and we're using this engagement process as courtship. And and if anybody here is engaged and there's a ring on the finger and a promise that has been pledged to you, but yet you feel unsteady, unsure about that person you're with, let me tell it to you like this. It is okay to stop that engagement and to start right and get back to the place of cultivating commitment through courtship and then go ahead later 
once you find out that you love each other's head and heart to uh, maybe jump into engagement to get married. And just have to admit, maybe we got it out of order and, and you can now make it right. So here we go. We're in the song is Solomon chapter three. Uh, the couple looks back over their wedding and uh, who do you think describes the wedding? The wife describes the wedding. She's the one that remembers it. She probably had something to do with planning it. We're gonna go quickly through it starting in verse six. Here's what she says in chapter three. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke? Perfume with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchants. Now remember, there's so much metaphor here. Words that are describing things so that we can get a mental picture. Verse 7, look, it's Solomon's carriage escorted by six warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all of them experienced in battle, each his sword at his side prepared for the tears of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon is a place that always means that's where the good stuff came from. That's the Tiffany's of all department stores. It, it, it posts, he made of silver, he, he, the base of gold. Its seats was, were, were upholstered with purple. Its interior inlaid with love. What a great description. He made it with love. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look. Take a look at this. Look at what my man made for me. You daughters of Zion, look. On the king of Solomon wearing a crown, the crown which his mother crowns him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. I just want to point out a couple things as we quickly get to the, from the wedding to the wedding night because that's all I care about. A couple things. Number one, she remembers back and she looks at this wedding. She's reminded of a couple things. First, she's reminded that she felt protected when she was with Solomon. 60 warriors, that's about double the warriors that were there with David when he got married. Uh, that is his father. And she says, boy, I felt really protected when I was with Solomon. Men, let me tell you something. The, the bride should stand there ready to be received by you and have a confidence in you, a security to you. Not just a physical security, an emotional, relational, uh, mental security that she knows without a doubt that you're gonna protect her, you're gonna honor her, and you're gonna respect her. And that's how she felt. And because that's how she felt going into this with this man, we're gonna see some amazing things happen on the wedding night. Number two, she remembered back to the wedding. She was reminded how he provided for her. He built for her a carriage, something that he could afford, but that was of his finest work. And it was for her. And this might look differently for all of us. We have different levels of feasibility in this room. And I'm not just talking about financial stuff here, guys. So don't think this all comes down to finances. But providing for your wife and meeting her needs, like, ministering to her and recognizing that she is your primary care of ministry and loving on her. Again, that means looking after her mentally, relationally, protecting her physically and mentally. And she should know without a doubt that she's married to a man that is providing for her and doing the best that he can to put her in front of him when it comes to their needs. And, and so they look back with this fondness and she remembers a couple things. She remembers my man protected me and she remembers my man provides for me. She remembers two things. There was security in this relationship and there is support here. Now Solomon looks back to this wedding day and what do you think he remembers, men? The wedding night. Of course he does. The wedding night. And it all starts with this, what we call a honeymoon. They didn't look at it that way. And we read about his perspective. And what we're going to see here is he remembers back and he, he remembers about the honeymoon the first time his wife undressed before him. And she's already bared her heart to him. She's already undressed her heart before him. She has put on display before him her, her baggage. Remember those bags that we all have in the trunk of our lives? We have the baggage of our personality and the baggage of our past. We talked about that last week. She's already unpacked those bags before him. She has nothing to fear and she now reveals to him his body. 
her body. Notice how it starts Song of Solomon chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1. And we're just kind of going to work our way through it and talk about each verse just about. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. Now his wife, you remember, had a realistic view of her beauty. Do you remember what she said about her, her body? She said, my body hasn't been well taken care of because I've been a hard worker in the fields. Uh, I've been pressed, forced to work by my, my, brother, uh, my, my stepbrothers in the vineyards, so I haven't been able to take care of my own body. She had a very realistic view of her beauty. She knew she wasn't going to win a beauty contest. However, she had no esteem issues. She was well aware that her personality, her poise, her character, those all far exceeded the other women that Solomon could have choose from in his dating experience. And he fell in love with her head and heart. And now he's in love with her. And so as she undresses, he is already in love with her, men. And it's not about what she is about to show him to make him love her more. He is already madly in love. Look what he says. He says, you're beautiful, darling. Oh, how beautiful. What he's saying is, you are the best looking woman I have ever seen and you are all mine. And he starts from her head and he works his eyes down and he starts to poetically talk about his wife as she undresses. And he says, your eyes behind your veil are doves. Now, customarily, she would have wore a veil. She obviously still has that on. Solomon looks behind the veil and he looks to her eyes and he says, they're like a dove. And we've recognized that dove means gentleness, is at peace. You know what he's saying? My wife is undressing before me and she's not nervous. Why would she not be nervous before him? Even though this is the first time they're seeing one another naked. Because she is secure. She's provided for. She knows she's protected. She knows she's already in love. Why? Because the relationship was founded correctly. And her eyes are telling him, I'm not nervous. I'm secure. Now he speaks about her hair. It continues on in verse one. Her hair is like a flock of goats descending the hills of Galeed. Now that's his way of explaining poetically that she's let her hair down. And as she's dropped her hair down, she no longer has it up. And now she has it down and she's showing off her beauty. Verse two, I love this line. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. What a strange way to describe teeth, right? But I love this. He says, coming up from the washing, like they're clean. They're, they're good teeth. And each has a twin. So meaning he compliments her smile. And he says, and here's a plus, she has all of her teeth, which we know right away she's not from Kentucky, and this is a good thing. Man, I wasn't going to put that in there, and it just came. I couldn't stop myself. Couldn't stop it. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your, your veil are like the halves of pomegranate. It's kind of a strange way to describe the temples, but maybe a couple things are going on here. Solomon was the creator of the first temple of the Lord. He looks back now, that temple has been completed. He now looks back in remembrance of his wife, and maybe the pomegranates uh, could describe what the temple described. Before you walked in the temple were two pillars. Within that pillar, all those pillars were, were inlays of pomegranates. Before you walked into the holy temple of the Lord, you walked through two Two pillars that had pomegranates surrounded them that were inlaid. And it's perhaps one of the explanations could be just as you walk before the holy temple of God and make your way into it, you walk past the temples and the pomegranates which lay to the beautiful pureness of God. And maybe he's saying, before I come to my, my wife, I see this beautiful entrance to my wife, this beautiful temple of my wife, and she is pure and she is holy. Perhaps the pomegranates represent wisdom, which they did represent wisdom off the time. That's why they were inlaid in the columns of the temple. And he could just be saying this, and, and wouldn't this be amazing? I'm in love with your, your wisdom. I'm in love with your beauty. Honey, I've fallen in love with your head and your heart. I've fallen in love with you. And, and I love that heart that I found. I love the mind that I've discovered. And there's nothing to fear here. I don't know which one it is, but I know he's madly in love with her. 
and she feels the security. You're catching that? And he starts to move down her body, and he keeps describing your neck. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hangs a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. And you're saying, what a strange way to describe the neck. But he's saying, I, I get to see your countenance before me. Notice her countenance. She stands strong. Her posture is straight. Her neck is up and down. You know what that's telling us? She's not humiliated. She's not disgraced. She is proud of what she is doing for her husband. Her neck is straight. She's not looking down in disgrace. She's able to look Solomon into the eye. She is naked and unafraid before her husband as she shows her body to him for the very first time. And when you're in a commitment to one another and purity has been the base of it and God has been the foundation of it and not the physicality, you can stand before each other And you can look each other in the eye and you can say, this I have saved for you. I am not ashamed by what I present before you. Even though I know I'm not gonna win a beauty contest, I know that that you love me. And I know that I am secure here in this place, vulnerable in front of you. Isn't that beautiful? This is good stuff. When it's done right, this is good stuff. Verse five, look at Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Such a strange way to describe his lover's breasts, like twin fawns. But fawns are young deer. And he's telling her, I'm gonna be gentle with you. I'm not just gonna throw myself on top of you and say, finally, this moment has arrived. Now's the time to make love. I'm not gonna mistreat you. I'm gonna be tender with you. That's what he's saying. Just as you would approach a a young deer to not startle them in the woods. That's how I'm gonna approach your body. Verse six, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I'm go to the mountains of myrrh and the hills of incense. You know what he's telling her? He's telling her his intentions. But honey, listen, I'm gonna be gentle with you, but I am gonna roam your hills and I'm gonna roam your mountains and I'm just gonna be all over you all night long. I love the assurance here. Verse seven, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. Listen to this. How beautiful is this, man? There is no flaw in you. And she stands before him naked. And he says to her, there is no flaw in you. And she says, but I know I haven't taken care of my body. And he says, no, 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 no. There is no flaw in you. I love that. I'm not gonna get into it, but that's how, that's how God sees his church because of Christ. There is no flaw in us. And, and I know as we talk about sexual purity here today, some of you are gonna say there is flaw in me. And I'm saying if you're in Christ, there is no flaw in you. And, and some of you are gonna, you're gonna, once you talk about purity, people are gonna be like, I'm embarrassed and I don't feel worth. And God says, no, you are worthy as we stand before, as we stand before our groom, Jesus. And he knows everything about us and we've exposed our sin to him. And he says, you are worthy. Men, did you know that women are like crockpots? Are you aware of that? Okay, it takes time for them to get ready for intimacy, but when they're heated up, I mean, they can, they can go on cooking for hours. <laughs> Men, you know what we're like? We're like microwaves. <laughs> Look, you, you touch a few buttons and we're ready to go. The only problem with that is we can start boiling over within three minutes. That's the problem. And Solomon was so in tune to his wife. He was so in tune. He's so aware of her inward beauty. He makes her feel secure. Why? He starts speaking her language, her love language, her love language. And he's not holding anything back. His heart is being unfolded before. His emotions are being spoken verbally. Men, he's speaking his emotions to her. He is, he is revved up. You know, men are revved up by sight and the sounds of sexual intimacy. Most men are revved up by sight and sound of sexual intimacy. Women are mostly uh, heated up by words and gentle touch. 
Now, psychology today has pointed out that the majority of women get excited when they feel, and here's the word they use, sexy. I'm not sure how to describe that because I'm sure that's different for everyone, but I, I know this, that that doesn't happen in a snap moment. Women don't feel sexy in a snap moment. I know that. I think we just need to become aware of this, men, if we want to be better lovers. That something has to be formed by the husband over time, that feeling of sexiness. Because when the moment of intimacy, intimacy hits and, and, and you're saying all sorts of stuff, she needs to be aware that the things that you're saying in the bedroom are the words of truth to her. Like they've already been spoken while dinner was being prepared at the kitchen or they were already spoken while you were driving together to do some shopping or they were already spoken or demonstrated while you were scratching her back while watching the ball game. Men are like, Microwaves, women are like crockpots, but when it comes to sexual intimacy and when intimacy is withheld from one another, you know what we both can become like? Pressure cookers. And somewhere, some, at some time, some, somebody might just go and try to release steam outside of the marriage. But we're talking about maybe next week. Solomon and his bride, though, they're ready for each other. And here's what they, they're, 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 they've waited on this moment. And here's some things that we can glean from that as they, they wait on this moment. In chapter 4, here they come in verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Ammon, from the top of Sinair, uh, the summit of Hermon, uh, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of leopards. And you go, what the heck does that even mean, right? Well, I want you to see a major change of Solomon's this way Solomon describes his, his, his beloved. He said, my beloved or my love over and over again. But what does he say now? Do you catch it? What he says in verse eight, my bride. And he switches it. And what he's really saying is he's defining the right moment. Remember how it was felt right, but not the right season. He's saying feels right and now is the right season. She now is my bride. Sexual intimacy, he's saying, happens in the context of marriage. And that's where it's best. Filled with commitment and security and exclusivity. Uh, other words uh, called monogamy. And that, my friends, that security, commitment, exclusivity, that love goes deeper than probably any physical touch can bring in the relationship. And there's all this anticipation that happens in this moment. And they're both experiencing it. And and they're not just about ready to make love. They're about ready to celebrate is what we're going to find out. And he invites her to come to him. And there's, there's no demand, there's an invitation. Come with me from Lebanon. And I don't know if he's saying, come and caress my body like I am going to caress yours, or if he's saying, you just come to me and I want you to know that we'll, we'll do this on your time. I'd like to think that's what he's thinking. He's not demanding sex here. He's not throwing himself on and saying, you're my, you're my wife now. I, de- I, I demand this. I need this. Now, what he's doing is he's really looking for her consent. And, and I think what he is saying in that verse, verse eight is, my bride, my bride, is this the right moment for you? Is this how you imagined it? Did you catch those two things? Is this the right moment for you? Is this how you imagine it? Let me put it this way. I don't, I don't think any one of us planned to lose their virginity to someone who we didn't know that well while we were a little bit tipsy in the back room behind a locked door at a party. I don't think that's how we had imagined that was how we were gonna lose our virginity. And I don't think we imagine that moment of intimacy being in the backseat of a car or in the bed of a dirty pickup truck or in the basement of our parents' house. I don't think that's how we imagined it. As a matter of fact, I know because studies show us that men and women don't just imagine it that way. 
you know how it's imagined? Candles, rose petals, satin sheets, designer lingerie, Barry White singing in the background. Okay, that's how I imagine it. But it should be planned and prepared for, and your purity, your purity should be cherished to keep until you give your body to your mate in marriage. And I love this. He is inviting her to come to him. He's not demanding. Is this how you imagined it, honey? Is this moment right for you? Listen to him crave his wife in verse nine. Listen to him crave his wife in verse nine. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Now they're, now they're touching. Now they're starting to kiss. The, the clothes are being stripped off and, and it's moving to become more intimate. She has come to him now. Verse 11, your lips... Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. You're the fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And, and here's this anticipation is built. They're just right about to consummate the marriage and have sex. And they've waited for this moment. They're madly in love. And just before they do, Solomon speaks to his bride, his love. And here's what he says in verse 12. Are you ready for this? You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed a sealed fountain. And in verse 13 and verse 14, he goes on and talks about all these spices. And verse 15, here's what he says. You are a garden fountain, a well flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. And here's what we're getting. Okay, this has a ton of meaning in it. But here's what he's doing. He is praising her for keeping her purity. He is praising her He's saying, I know that all these men have pursued you sexually and you didn't give in to that. And I know I pursued you sexually and you didn't give in to that. You respected the boundaries we had drawn together. And he praises her and he says, you're like a secret garden. Your virginity is like a secret garden and you've given me the key. <laughs> How beautiful that is. And like a sealed fountain, what an expression. He's saying, no one has drawn from these waters. These are the purest of waters. An expression, I mean, she is full of love. She's not given herself to another man. She all, all that she has is being given over to him. She is completely and solely his. And I love that the moment before they have sex, they praise the purity. They praise their virginity, their chastity. I found the following in a book called Hook, The Science of How Casual Sex is Affecting Our Children. It was written by a neuroscientist. It has, doesn't really have a Christian paradigm to it at all. The number one thing expressed by those who have given their virginity to someone other than their spouse is this. I had no idea having sex as a teenager would affect me for the rest of my life. That's the number one thing said. I had no idea that what happened then was going to affect me much later now. And so looking into that, they did some science on when we have multiple partners outside of marriage and when we don't keep ourselves pure for our mate. And here's what the scientific study showed. Scientifically, I'm going to read it to you. Scientifically, we know this, that as we break and bar, uh, bond and break, bond and break, bond and break, uh, that's a reference to sexual intimacy, we lose our ability to properly bond. Are you catching that? We lose the stickiness. When we are ready for that new serious relationship or marriage, something is missing that prevents us from fully bonding. We don't feel the con, con, connected or commit, committed. Our feelings may seem to diminish when we see someone else a little bit more exciting, more appealing, more perfect for us, we're ready to move on in a heartbeat. The condition of being crazy in love suddenly disappears. 
We may say we don't feel all that excited anymore. We may even lose faith and falling in love again. This is why it's important to protect, here's what he says, to protect your purity, your spirit, your soul, and your body. We must understand that ability to be pure and save ourselves is not just a religious ideal. It's not just giving our valuable V-card virginity to someone. That's not the point. The point is to keep your stickiness intact so that when we find the right person, we connect to them for life. And the neuroscience is the same. Mentally, we lose the ability to bond to other relationships when we give ourselves to others in, in, in a sexual way. And when it comes time for us to really have that moment with someone whom we married and we want to have a relationship that lasts, the bond is not easy to bring back because we've lost the stickiness mentally. You see, making love to your spouse is way too beautiful. It's way too emotional. It's way too amazing just to be handed to anyone. And unmarried men and women, may I just speak to you for a moment? Everybody isn't doing it. Go look at the statistics. And just because you've never felt this way about somebody doesn't mean that you need to give yourself over to somebody sexually. And if you think you have to have sex with that person to keep that person in the relationship, guess what you're doing? You're enabling their selfish attitude. And they're just gonna continue to be selfish towards you time and time again. Stay pure. Remain pure. Let your purity, your virginity, be the gift to one another on that wedding night. Let it be a gift. It's the one gift that you can never give away again. You can't re-gift it. And I'm telling you, Solomon and his bride, they celebrated it. Kelly, my wife, and I, we celebrated it. It can be done. Make boundaries. Discuss those boundaries, those physical boundaries. Have some stinking self-control. You can do this. Have some self-respect. Honor God with this. You call him Savior, let him be Lord in this way. Let's get into verse 16, because here's where things start to get really heavy. and um, They lose their purity right away, right here. Verse 16, she says to him, awaken north wind and come south wind. She's like, woohoo, here we go, south wind, north wind, let's go, blow on my garden. That's its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my love come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. You remember how they had said a couple times, do not awaken love, right? They were saying, right feelings, wrong season. Now she's saying, awaken love. Rush in me like the north wind and the south wind. Overtake me. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruit. You say, pastor, what does that mean? You know exactly what it means. <laughs> now notice, notice, there are, notice before the act of sex, notice before the physical intimacy, there are 15 verses that are before it that talk about the playfulness, the verbiage, the love that is expressed way before they even made love, 15 verses. And there's only one verse about sex. 15 verses beforehand as a get ready to make love. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because they're putting it in a true context. They're putting it in a true context. They're not overemphasizing the lovemaking. They're emphasizing the love that's already been had and is gonna be expressed here tangibly. And I'll tell you why they're not overemphasizing the act of lovemaking because it's not the be-all, end-all of a healthy relationship. Friends, sex is sweet. It is a great way to express love to one another and deepen 
a couple together. However, there is so much more to a relationship than making love. I love my wife. And that's not all because of what happens in the bedroom. That is the gravy to the biscuits. But I love my wife because of the way that we partner and help each other outside of the bedroom. And when things go right outside of the bedroom, things get amazing inside the bedroom. You need to discover that about your relationship, that it's beautiful, sex is beautiful, but it's not the totality of a relationship. There is so much more to love. Oh, no amens on that. Okay. Amen. I'll say it. Chapter five, look at verse one. And this is, this is incredible stuff as we finish this out. This verse lands in the middle of this entire song. There's 111 verses before this verse, and there are 111 verses after this verse. That was done by design. Solomon, as he wrote this, put this in the middle to say this is the pinnacle, this is the place for this. And here's what he says. He says, I have come into my garden. Notice he takes possession of it, and he also has past sense of it. The two have become one flesh. The two have become one flesh. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spices. We've spiced it up. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. Not gonna go there. I have drunk my wine and my milk. We ravaged each other. And he looks back at their lovemaking. He says, that garden of hers was like that perfect place, like the Garden of Eden. That's what he's referring to. And then he says, I've had the, the milk and the honey. You know what that's a reference to? The promised land that God had pr- provided for the Israelites. And he's saying, that was a, a woman that has promised me herself. And when I moved in to her, it was perfect. It was satisfying. And she was made just for me. Oh, I love that. That's what happens when, when it's right. And then the friends speak up. And some people think this is now where God speaks up. This is the place where God speaks. And some people think that maybe God spoke just once here. I'm one of these that says, while this is maybe something that God would have said, I think the, the friends or the, the, the narrator would have said this. And here's what he says. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. You know what he's saying? Sex is more than just for procreation, Christians. It's to find satisfaction in one another, fulfillment in each other. Drink your fill of this. And he's saying, this is the season to celebrate sexual intimacy. Have your fill of one another. It now feels right and is right. Go at it. Eat, drink, celebrate. You know, if you want to start a lasting fire, and you just want to go build a fire, you're going to need some kindling. You're going to need some lighter fluid. You're going to need a match. But if you want to build for last for a lasting, you're going to need to do the hard work of gathering wood that has been cut and prepared to burn. And there is a ton of work that goes into building a lasting fire long before the match is even struck. But if you're if you only have kindling and a little bit of lighter fluid, which which I'm likening to physical attraction and sexual passion, and you strike that match, then you're only going to produce a roaring blaze that's only going to last for a little while. I'm going to tell you, good marriages with great sexual intimacy, have learned to gather the wood every day so that the fire of intimacy never becomes extinguished. And that is difficult work, men. That is difficult work, women, to love each other in season and out of season, but to gather that wood so that you can put it on the fire and and keep it burning. And God has created the best place for sexual intimacy, and that's in the protected, committed season of marriage. Friends, sex in marriage is like lighting the fire in the fireplace of your home. It warms the house, enhances the house. It brings the greatest amount of safety because there's commitment, dedication to one another. God places sex in a very special and unique environment for our joy and our protection. Sex functions 
like a fire in the fireplace. And God, God wants our fire to burn hot with passion. He, he wants us to light that fire in the fireplace of marriage where it brings light and heat and warmth and intimacy to the household. And I know that hasn't been the situation for everybody in this room. I just know it. You didn't light that fire in the proper place. And, and you didn't enter the marriage with purity. And you haven't been pure for your future marriage partner. And while that's God's plan for us, to be pure, to remain pure, and, and that can be done, I want to tell you something. He doesn't hold that sin against you. He does not hold that sin against you. And I say that because for some reason, sexual sin is something so difficult to forgive yourself for, so difficult to walk away from. And God does not hold that against you. Would you please stop holding it against yourself? And maybe the spark of passion right now is pulling you to be sexually involved outside of the design, designer's boundaries of marriage to have sex with someone whom you're not married to. There's a spark there. There's a fling in the office. There's an emotional affair that's taking place. Maybe you're even right now flirting with somebody in a relationship with someone outside your marriage. Let me tell you, a few minutes of being warmed by a fire of sex is not worth the years of being burned by it. And maybe you've already lit this fire outside of the mantle of marriage and you're single, you haven't partnered with anybody and you're feeling maybe the guilt and the shame and you're wishing you had that moment back. Can I tell you something? It's never too late to make relationships right. It is never too late. And maybe that boundary has been crossed. Maybe you just say now, as a Christian man or Christian woman, it ends and let's just stay pure. Let me tell you about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we close. It says, do not be fooled. Those who sin sexually worship idols, take part in adultery. Those who are male prostitutes or men who have sexual relationship with other men, or those who steal or greedy, get drunk, lie about others or rob, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know really what Paul's doing there when he talks about this? Any sinner. He's just dealing with the sins of the city of Corinth. But he's pointing to me, he's pointing to you. I, like we won't inherit the kingdom of God if we have sin in our life. And then I love this. Can we read this outline, uh, highlighted part out loud, shall we? In the, pa- in the past, some of you were like that, but you were washed clean. You were made holy, and you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Are you catching that? That Jesus bled on the cross to carry the weight of your sin? That if you come to him repentantly today and apply his death over your sin, he, promise, he promises to forgive us, to heal us, to make us new. The Bible says that he will even make beauty, beauty out of our ashes. And would you do me a favor? Let's stand together. And uh, I'm not sure where the worship team is right now. I might just lead the singing. I'm not sure what's happening. Uh, but in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're asking you to come and Myself, Evan, will be over here by this baptistry. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about what it means to be a follower of Christ. You want to maybe find out what it means to be forgiven of your sins. Maybe you have a step to make a commitment of baptism. Uh, We'll have people that are in the back of this room too. Maybe you have something that you have in your mind that you want to just talk to somebody about, pray to somebody about. Uh, Also, we'll have pastors behind this room uh, that you can go to, and long after the service is over, we can continue to pray with you and engage you and and talk about how these relationships can be made right with the Lord. But whatever it is that God's calling you to do right now, we're asking that you make a step and you make that move as we sing together.